Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. You're listening to Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk Mississippi. Covering Mississippi State sports like nobody else. With Sports Talk Mississippi's Brian Haydad and Robbie Falk of 24-7 Sports. Powered by Taylor Construction Equipment. Whether you're looking to rent, lease, buy, or for service, contact Taylor Construction Equipment today at taylorconstructionequipment.com or call 662-446-1048. Now get ready for Thunder and Lightning. This is Thunder and Lightning here on Super Talk Mississippi. Brian Haydad and Robbie Falk here with you on a Wednesday morning. Thanks for joining us here at supertalk.fm or wherever it is that you get podcasts from. We appreciate all you guys out there, our great listeners, especially our servicemen and women out there taking care of us. I want to thank our sponsors over at Strange Brew Coffee House and Churn and Spoon Ice Cream. Start your day the right way with a trip to the drive-thru over at Strange Brew Coffee House here in Starkville or at Brupolo over in Tupelo. Be a little weird, Robbie, if Brupolo was at Eagle Bend. That would be a little weird. Mm. What was the one you did? You did Buzzard's Roost yesterday. Buzzard's Roost. You? And I've got a killer one for uh, for Friday. So we're doing a... We're doing bird related. No, it's not bird related. My one on Friday will not be bird related. But you should have done that last week. I should, I should have. You're what not are you thinking. Wrong. You're not wrong. Could have done Black Hawk. Black Hawk. Yeah. Have, uh, I'm trying to think. What else is there in, in the great state of Mississippi? Uh I'm sure there's more. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Could have a. Uh, could have done, is is Falcon Crest in the state of Mississippi? Or is that just a TV show? That sounds like a TV show. That sounds like a... uh, At Lorenzo Lamas. That sounds like a um, Days of Our Lives. It was was a nighttime soap opera. It came on Fridays after Dallas. There we go. My mom watched it, yeah. My mom's... her, Her nighttime... See, mom worked, so she couldn't do the daytime stories. But she was locked in for Dallas, Falcon Crest, and Knott's Landing. There you go. So, there it is. Wherever you are in our great state, you can enjoy Strange Brew Coffee each and every morning. Just go to strangebrewcoffeehouse.com and order it to be shipped right to your door. Don't forget, when you support Strange Brew Coffee House, you support the Bulldog Initiative. I've got the details on the College Corner sale, and it's a pretty good one. These are in-store only, though, guys. So, if you're in the Jackson area or if you're in Oxford, if, you, if you're an Ole Miss fan, I got the store details for you. 40% off. From 7 to 9 a.m. on Black Friday. Now, that's a really good deal. You think about some of the stuff that's in there, 40% off, fantastic. 25% off from 9 to 11, 10% off 11 to 7. Now, that is apparel only, and it is in-store only, but those are still some really, really good deals on Black Friday at the three College Corner locations, Ridgeland by Fleet Feet, Flowway by the Half Shell, or, of course, in Oxford off of Sisk Avenue. Restaurant Tyler. Sartville's flagship restaurant this holiday season when the family's in town, take them to Restaurant Tyler. That's an experience they won't forget. One of the best dinners you're going to have in the state of Mississippi. Great blue plate lunch and Sunday brunch at Restaurant Tyler is always a fun, fun event. It's always a special occasion when you eat at Restaurant Tyler, Sartville's flagship restaurant. 16 Priority One Bank locations throughout central Mississippi. They're here to serve you. And they are here to help you build a relationship with a community bank. 16 of them means throughout central Mississippi, there's going to be one near you, which means banking locally is something you can do and you should do. It's just as important as eating locally, shopping locally. It helps build strong communities. If you're a Priority One Bank customer, you already know how great their app is. You do a lot more on there. Then just move your money around. It's smooth. It's streamlined. It works on all mobile devices. Check them out at PriorityOneBank.com. Let Priority One Bank make you their priority. This is a great show for Robbie Falk. He doesn't have to do a lot of work today. Not, not a whole lot out of this. That's my Thanksgiving gift to you, my friend. Is it any different than any other day? You work hard on this show most days. You got to come in and I ask questions and you give great analysis. Before we get into oh, is that right. It is. I I think there's a lot of people that would disagree. You know what? The, I have a word for those people. Morons. Oh. Anyone who thinks Robbie Falk isn't bringing the goods to this show is wrong. 
Uh, before we get into the the interviews, we're gonna we got two interviews today. You may have already heard our interview, my interview with Dan Mullen. Uh, but we're going to replay that today, and then we'll get some of Robbie and I's couple couple egg bowl thoughts from the from the Mullen era. Um, and then I interviewed, uh, I talked to my good friend Michael Borky earlier today, get his thoughts on this game from the Ole Miss perspective. But let's we got to do some coaching search stuff first. The 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 world continues to churn around this. The rumor mill is striking hot. I, I I'm I'm at the point now where I feel like some people are just throwing names out there and hoping one of them hits. Uh, what what's the latest from your end, Robbie? It's just uh, it's gotten to the point now where we're at like where it was with the offensive coordinator search. Remember how crazy that was? There mm-hmm. was like just names being thrown around everywhere. Nobody knew what was going on really. And then we woke up one morning and Kevin Barbet was the offensive coordinator, and not a single person had mentioned his name. Mm-hmm. Like it would not shock me if that's how this turns out. At this point, I don't think anybody knows anything. I think it's just chaos right now. People are throwing things against the wall to see if they stick. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be uh, speculation. It's just it's gotten to the point where I just I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore, Brian. So it's just um, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's just right now there's just so much noise that I don't know what to believe. And I think that to me tells me we're still in the heat of this. I think if this thing was close to finishing up, like really close to finishing up, I think things would start to come into focus a little bit more. But it's kind of like chaos right now, which leads me to believe there's still a lot of things happening. There's still a lot of people um involved in this search there's still some conversations being had and things like that i just i don't think that there that there is a guy just yet i i agree i think that when you have a vacuum of information from official sources you get unofficial information from everyone people just can't live nobody is willing to just sit there and and look i understand that you and i are in the content business and we have to we have to do different things but for the most part, nobody can just sit there and be like, all right, I'll, I'll wait and see who the new coaches. They have to speculate, you know. They have to discuss these things. So it does feel like I am not of the opinion that this search is 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 winding down. You know, I feel yeah. like I feel I I it's so my timeline. The original thing I said was to be announced around the SEC championship game. Well, I've still got 10 more days to deal with that. So I feel like they're gonna try to get through this weekend, play this game. And and then figure it out from there. You know, obviously, a best case scenario would be something to be announced Friday, Saturday, Sunday of this week. But 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 if if it's Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Friday of next week, that's fine. It's fine. I just I feel like all this speculation does is make Mississippi State officials look like idiots. Yeah, to a certain. And I'm not saying I'm I'm saying the exact opposite of that. I think I think people are are looking at this and saying, oh, Barry Odom, Dave Doran, um. Who else is one of the names? Um, oh, I can't think of Shane it. Beamer. Shane like, Beamer is I like no. Like people are just people are just jumping in the conclusion that Zach Selman has no idea what he's doing, and they they take this as gospel. Like these are the final names, and in reality, I don't think anybody knows. I, I really don't. There's yeah. been nothing. There's been nothing said right now that should give anybody any kind of confirmation that anybody does know outside of Zach Selman and a few people. Mm-hmm. And I realize like people look to us for this information and they want us to give it to us, but give it to them. But all we can do is talk about what we hear from different sources within agent circles, um, you know, taking bits of information that you might get to leak out from Mississippi state. And then from a coaching side, and I've talked to people that are inside the, you know, coaching side of the business that are inside agent circles, and I've talked to people inside Mississippi State circles, and I haven't gotten anything firm on anybody outside of what I've reported before on Jamie Chadwell, and I still think that's a long shot to get Chadwell, but anybody shooting that down as, you know, he has told Mississippi State thanks but no thanks, I disagree with that based on the information that I have. Um, And I – I don't have any information on Dave Doran. I feel like that was taken from the flight tracker thing. Right. And it, people have just kind of run with that. 
And then the people take these little context clues and they pull them together in these conspiracies. Right. And make it out of this and a little bit of that. And all of a sudden you've got an idea and that's not just, yeah, it's turned into a jumbled mess. And all I can say is don't believe everything that you read and hear. And that, and that could even be coming from us. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things that we get that's misinformation that it's taken and, you know, we're, we're not, we're not taking it as misinformation. We take it from a valuable source, but there's so many things that are manipulated throughout the search from agents to coaches trying to, to play for bigger money. It doesn't always need to be taken as gospel. And I'm just, I just caution people to be very careful with what you're, you know, what you see and what you tell others and things like that. This isn't done until we see, I feel certain that we're, none of us are going to break it. Maybe we'll get lucky and do it, but yeah. it's not done until we see a Pete Thamel and Andy Staples and Ross Dellinger come out and say, Mississippi state has targeted right person X to be its next head coach. A deal has not been made yet, but it's a, yeah. Discussions are bringing expect an announcement like soon. Uh, yes, we've said it before. We're saying it again. So, all right. So, just uh, until that happens, nothing is final. Right. Yeah, and, and, and I'll be honest with you. Until you see me and Robbie say sources confirm, because what's what when we confirm it, we're confirming with somebody who would damn well know. Yeah, and there there would be no no mis. You know, that's one of those things where we send the text that says, "Hey, can you confirm?" They don't send it back until it's confirmed, right? Right. They, they'll be the first ones to tell you. Be like, you need to wait. You need to wait. I remember when the uh, was the when uh, what's his like Gilbo tweeted from that that Howland had been fired. Oh and yeah. At the time, Howland had not been fired, and and my sources and the, you and I basically probably had the same guy for that. We were just, they were just like, no, not yet. Like he. He might be right eventually, but he ain't right right now. So you got to. Well, gotta, literally, John Cohen came into the press box of baseball and said, "This is incorrect." Yes, that is. Yeah, that's a pretty good source at that point. So, yeah. All right, let's talk like bowl, and let's let's just go right into this interview. I talked earlier today with my friend Michael Borky, co-host of Sports Talk Mississippi. As the three of us there, you know, you have me and Borky and our part-time analyst Richard Cross. And uh, let's go down to that interview and he get his thoughts on Ole Miss and the and the Egg Bowl from the Rebel perspective. So bringing in now my co-host from Sports Talk Mississippi, along with our part-time analyst Richard Cross. This is Michael Borky joining me here, and and Michael Borky, whatever whatever you want to go by today. Uh, I don't think I'm I'm stretching the truth to say we we both thought Ole Miss was going to be pretty good this year. We thought, you know, Lane Kiffin's mm-hmm. not going to ever bottom out there. They'll be a solid team. I think that another 10-win season was not on our planning board for, for this. What's been the biggest key for Ole Miss's success this year? Uh, winning close games. Uh, they are, they're really good in the fourth quarter, which is a dramatic difference, uh, difference than a year ago. They were a bad second-half team last year, frankly. I mean, best opening drive team in America, and in the second half, uh, they were truly awful. On the flip side, uh, they are dominant. In in the second half, Georgia uh, aside, of course, but that that's that's where they're better. They're they're better at quarterback, even though it's the same guy. They're certainly better there. Um, they're better defensively, although certainly not great. They're they're better, uh, but they're a really good second half, fourth quarter football team. I, I think it, a lot of it has to do with Jackson Dart's uh, improvement as a quarterback and a leader. And defensively, they're better in the second half, I think in part because they play a ton of guys on that side of the ball. There's no elite player really on the entire defense aside from possibly Centarian Perkins, but you've got like solid rotational guys like Pegues on the defensive line and Ivy and and all them, but they, they rotate a ton on defense. A lot of guys get a lot of snaps, and so when you see them have success, like against LSU in the fourth quarter, when they're getting gashed all game, I think that's in part because they're a lot fresher uh, than they were a year ago when they had, you know, five offensive linemen that they played, like six defensive linemen that they played, and by the fourth quarter they were just kind of worn the hell out. That is not uh, the the case this year, and as a result, they are better in the second half and winning these close games. 
It felt like last week, you know, against ULM, it was a combination Georgia hangover. You know, they got pounded pretty good there at Georgia, and maybe there were some lingering effects of that. And then the fact that you're playing ULM, you can go ahead and really start looking ahead to Mississippi State. And they just got caught in a caught in the middle, and they still won 35 to three. Uh, you know, I, I'm on the record here. I, I don't think Mississippi State has much of a chance in this game. Can you sell me otherwise that state, what, what state's path to victory over Ole Miss in this one? Uh, creating havoc. Uh, I mean, what we uh, we're going to spend the week talking about this game, of course, and and the big key, uh, at least for Mississippi State, I think, is creating havoc. Ole Miss's offensive line is is banged up. If Williams can't go at tackle, then you've got um, a, a lot of moving parts on that Ole Miss offensive line. Guys that are going to be playing out of position, frankly, on uh, on Thanksgiving night, as opposed to uh, a, a more structured offensive line with Williams being hurt. And then Pettis being out uh, for the year got hurt in practice. Uh, that that Ole Miss offensive line really struggled against Louisiana Monroe, and they had to move a lot of guys around and, and stuff like that. If Mississippi State's going to win the game, uh, I, I would I would encourage uh, Brock and, and the guys on defense to blitz like crazy, test the offensive line, test the backs in the backfield, and let uh, Watson just kind of feast. That's going to keep Mississippi State in the game is if they can create havoc on the defensive front because I, if you give Jackson Dart time, I don't think that State secondary can can cover and really contain Ole Miss's receivers, but State can create havoc and you know get to the quarterback and stuff like that. If they're able to do that, then all bets are off. And you think about this game a, a season ago, and Mississippi State, really dominated the Ole Miss run game in a way that nobody else had. I think it was the final tally was was 17 tackles for loss in that one. And, and you think about, you know, the season that Buki Watson and Jet Johnson have been having for the Bulldogs, leading the SEC in tackles again. Watson leads the SEC in sacks. Are, are, are they just the keys for Mississippi State in this game? Do they have to no be doubt. in control of, of Judkins and Bentley as much as they can? No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. Uh, because – Look, it's it's a weird thing about the Ole Miss offensive line. Now, Pettis won't be there, so so that is absolutely a factor. But, like, they only gave up one tackle for loss against the Texas A&M defensive line, the, mm-hmm. one of the most talented in, in all of college football. But then Louisiana Monroe has success, and Vanderbilt has success, and Tulane has success. It's a weird deal. I mean, they protected and ran the football really well against LSU. Now, I know that's a bad LSU defense, but you get my point. It's like some games – they look good and capable and competent, and others they don't, but that'll be the key. I mean, I really think that Mississippi State would be well-served uh, to just try to sell out to stop the run and sell out to get to Dart. Uh, any other defensive strategy would be a mistake because, look, Dart's not 100%. He He's not. I mean, I know, you know, myself included kind of picked on Chris Lowe this week for Jackson Dart didn't practice. They'll know about his health later. He's going to play. Of course he's going to play in the game. He's not 100%, though. And so you you can really uh, create some issues with Ole Miss because it's not just a shoulder either. He got his ankle retaped against Louisiana Monroe at some point, was hobbled there as well. Hasn't uh, the, the last couple of weeks really been as effective with his legs, and, and I think there's possibly some injury uh, reason for that. So test him because if when he's 100%, he can beat you with his legs. I don't think he is, and so see if his ankle's 100%. See if he's willing to, to be – the runner that he is, despite being uh, banged up on his non-throwing shoulder. Test him a, a little bit and, and see what he's got. The other side of it, obviously, is the offensive side. And, and for Mississippi State, it's just been an, an issue all season long. They're inconsistent. They can't really run the ball. They can't really throw the ball. You know, a season ago, Ole Miss w- defense was their weak link. They they, they had trouble stopping teams. They've, they're much improved. Pete Golding has been as advertised in, in year one. They found they, they, and you mentioned creating havoc. I think that's what Ole Miss's defense does as well as anybody in the country. They get after the quarterback. They force turnovers. They 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 make you and force you into, into bad decisions against this Ole Miss defense. You know how can Mississippi State have the most success? Oh, that that's uh, I think the the Ole Miss secondary. While they're okay there and they they've created turnovers and stuff, they are vulnerable uh, there. I mean, if you give Rogers time. Uh, they have shown the propensity, especially tackling in space the last few weeks. They haven't been uh, particularly great at. Uh, so, so that's their window is if you can get Tulu the ball in space, uh, how and how they're able to do that because they do create havoc. And uh, I mean, Georgia is not the best example, but 
they are uh, their numbers tell you that they're very good at tackles for loss, turnovers, quarterback hurry, stuff like that. A lot of that is scheme. Uh, they are schemed really, really well. I, I can't believe people disagree with what you just said there about Pete Golding. He has dramatically improved how how people disagree with that statement. They, they do. It's unbelievable, and I fight that but war on Twitter, smart. and and I I lose. It's crazy. They are much improved defensively. They they are able to get after the quarterback, but if Rodgers has time, uh, that he will be able to find receivers in space. And it's going to be up to Ole Miss to uh, to tackle in space. So if they can keep the defensive line off of him, then there is an opportunity for success against that defense. Are, are they more vulnerable? I, mean, I, I heard what you said about missing tackles there. Are they more vulnerable with the deep ball, or are they more vulnerable in the short passing game with guys like Tulu and Xavion who can make guys miss and, and, and break tackles and turn short plays into long plays? So it's it, honestly it's been both at different times. Uh, they, they generally have been really good at, at keeping things in front of them uh, defensively. They they have been good at uh, like the when teams try to do the underneath game, uh, they've been able to come up and and make tackles. But then you watch the Georgia game, and you know was that more about Georgia or or was that about Ole Miss? I mean, I, I know Mississippi State has talented receivers, more talented than they've been able to show this season because of injury and and. Uh, and and whatnot, but they've been pretty good at doing that. I think where they've been susceptible is losing one-on-one matchups vertically down the field is where, uh, like, you know, Prince has been good uh, for Ole Miss in the past, but, you know, he's he's been beat, and and especially in Athens, he showed you that while a solid college football player, He's vulnerable if you can get one-on-one matchups on the outside. So the underneath stuff they've been pretty good at, uh, but it's it, it varies, man. It, it's weird. Sometimes they look really, really good and, and confident and comfortable at coming up and making plays, and other times it's it's like they've never tackled before. It, it's Mississippi State can have success vertically uh, on this defense. I'm not so sure that the the check down underneath stuff will be there for them. Uh, as much as vertical, though. Only a couple minutes left. You know how we do it on the podcast, offensive, defensive player of the game, and our X Factor, the guy who, maybe not the most stats, but he makes a big play in this game. Who's that for Ole Miss? Uh, The X Factor will be Dayton Wade. And I know he's got the circus catches this year, but Trey Harris just gets so much focus. Mississippi State would be making a big mistake to, to have Trey Harris on an island with one defensive back. So I assume he's going to draw uh, some attention and you know, Watkins is, is much healthier than he has been, so he's he's closer to 100%. But Dayton Wade is a guy that when you match him up against a third defensive back or, or a safety, he can really have some success. So when you think Ole Miss offense, you think Trey Harris. Get the ball to Trey Harris. Quinshawn Judkins. Dayton Wade is a guy that in space can be absolutely electric. And then... Cedric Johnson is somebody that we talked a lot about going into the season, has not had the year uh, that that people uh, were hoping that he would have, but um, uh, he's been better lately, and uh, the, here's an opportunity with an immobile quarterback for him to uh, to make some plays. He gets there. He doesn't bring guys down. The mobile quarterbacks especially give him issues, and uh, and Cedric Johnson, uh, he, he should be that guy for Ole Miss. I expect him to. He, he has been able to feast on – the uh, the immobile quarterbacks and and when Rodgers is in the game, you just uh, described Will Rodgers. That's that's Will Rogers. Yeah. All right. We'll have plenty to talk about on Sports Talk. We've had plenty to talk about on Sports Talk Mississippi this week. If you missed any of it, check it out in podcast form. Michael Borky, my good friend. Thanks for joining me. Happy Thanksgiving to you, man. Happy Thanksgiving. So the one thing I took from that interview, Robbie, is his thought that Mississippi State can attack Ole Miss vertically. Now. The, the issue with that for me is more about protection than anything else. I think State has receivers who can get open. Xavion and Tulu, they can get open. But can State protect against an Ole Miss defensive line that it's not an all-American defensive line? They don't have a guy in there like you know, they, they don't they don't have a, a Sam Williams or a, a Marquise Haynes or anything like that that they used to have. But they are a, a they they are good at getting to the quarterback, and this Mississippi State offensive line has not been great in protection this year. Do you agree with that assessment that that they can that they can protect Will Rogers long enough to get some plays down the field? Uh, they've been okay. Um, you know, I, I feel like we haven't seen you know just 
disastrous, you know, blocking misassignments or whatever from this offensive line this year. I mean, Will Rogers has had time back there, I feel like. My thought is, you know, can they get open? Can they catch? We've seen a lot of guys dropping balls this year. Sometimes they're not as open. I mean, ideally, you have a game plan like you did against South Carolina, and you execute that way. That would be great yeah. if State is able to do that. That's the only time we've seen that around. this year. That's the only time. It was that one game. How did that happen? That's a great question. We talk about the inexplicable result of the Arizona game, but Rodgers throwing for nearly 500 yards in a game where State could not run. I mean, normally you you can you get a game like that because early on you had some success running it, and they 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 try to stop it, and then you just you're able to hit them over the top. State was never able to run the football in that game, and yet, like I wonder if that was, you know, if we just haven't seen them try to do that again, which I, I don't think that's the case, or if it was just South Carolina was just that bad, because it's, it was truly unbelievable that not one time have we seen that again. That is the only time that's happened all year, and I, I thought after that game, I was like, my gosh, they're. This offense might have something now. And yeah. they literally have not replicated that not once. I don't even think there's even been a play like that since. I, was, like, I thought about one that. One of those big plays. I thought about that. And I, as because, you know, all offseason it was about throwing the ball vertically. And, and you know, does Will Rogers have the arm strength to, to run this offense? And then after that game, has State thrown the ball more than 20 yards down the field once? Granted, I mean, you know, maybe a couple of times with, with 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 Mike Wright, but still, it's it's truly incredible. I mean this this season is like the twilight zone; like it just doesn't make sense. But you know, so he thinks that is the that's where State can get Ole Miss down mm-hmm. the field passing. Yeah, and like I said, I just worry about State's ability to protect in that situation because they have not been great at that. And Ole Miss is a defense that can get after the quarterback. So, well, you got to think that Pete Golding is probably going to bring pressure on Will Rogers. Yeah. Because that, you know, it's, is that's not his strength is handling pressure. And I think what you want to do is, is take, take away any ability for Will Rogers to kind of stand in the pocket and look around and, and find an open receiver, which is what he did pretty well in the air raid. And you're kind of playing into his um, strengths if you do that. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, yeah, I think that's probably what we're going to see. And you don't have a quarterback that's going to be mobile enough to elude the pressure, step up in the pocket, and deliver a throw down the field very often. Do you take a shot first play No, thinking like this? Do you just like, you know what, let's just see what they got and, and let's 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 – See what we can do first play. Probably, but I mean, I have no faith that they're going to do that. No, I don't either. First play will be a run up the middle. I mean, we we haven't seen this team again outside of the South Carolina game. We haven't seen this team just let loose and say screw it yet. Like that, they've it's been ultra conservative in a lot of instances, and this is the time to not be conservative. This is maybe the most frustrating offensive season states ever had. You know, think about. Moorhead in his first year, and you had Nick Fitzgerald, and they didn't want to build around what he could do. That was frustrating. Obviously, the Croom years were frustrating, but you you got the impression that that's kind of what Croom wanted to have happening out there. He wanted to run the ball and, and and control the clock, but he just wasn't good enough at that to to make it happen. This has been a year where Mississippi State, the whole offseason was taught vertical, vertical, big plays, explosive plays, throwing the ball down the field, and there's been none of it. And it's just really something to to to. to it's it's been a, it's been a very. T- I understand why Mississippi State fans are frustrated, and this is why Mississippi State fans, by and large, want somebody who is known as an offensive explosive guy as the next head coach. Well, what's really frustrating is we've been told that about a bunch of coaches that have come and to Mississippi it, State. It's something in the water. Is it like when you get here, you just can't do it? Joe Moorhead, like, remember, we, all we talked about was the explosive plays that he had at Penn State, and they never did it here. Mm-hmm. 
And then, you know, Mike Leach is what he is. I think we saw pretty much saw Mike Leach's offense. Yeah. Um, and it's been pretty much the same, but that's he's kind of a different bird. Like he did that at every stop. So I right, think right. that that didn't really apply here anyway. But like the coaches that have said, like it's selling explosive plays and exciting offense, it hasn't translated here. And like, is it just like a is that a thing at Mississippi State? You you cannot have an explosive offense. Yeah. Because I mean, Dan Mullen wasn't a super explosive offense. He made right. they had some explosives, but it was kind of built around for the most part. It was a running offense, you know. When, option. when they got Dak and and they they found out they had a little bit more competency as a passer, they took shots down the field. But it was not. It was it was definitely not. You know, that, that's like the two year outlier was those two years. Everything else was about the running game, and it, you had a lot of explosive plays in the running game because you can do that when you have. Great running quarterbacks, and he had that with with Dak and with Nick and, and with Chris Ralph. But you know, yeah, the, the the idea of being one thing states never had is tempo. They just they just state has refused to run tempo over the the past decade. They never they never get to the line quickly. They're always check with me. It's never just get on the line, run the play, and go. And I think that's something that state could do at times. And you think with a quarterback like Rogers, who's uh, such a veteran that you could just put him in there, call the play, go, and he he's smart enough to check out if it's a problem. But just it really that. is crazy to me that they've had all these different coaches, mm-hmm. and the offense has been the same. Even even with Mike Leach, the offense was basically the same in how it was run, and like it was a passing offense, but it was almost ball control, and like that has been Mississippi State's offense forever controlling the ball yeah you know they don't run tempo there's not a whole lot of explosives it's insane to me i don't know why that is such a common thing but alas yeah it is what it is all right maybe zach's maybe new leadership can change that who knows let's let's hope man all right, let's move into the rest of the show. That's brought to you by our good friends over at the mississippi beef council who want to remind you that beef it's what's for dinner Simple as that, guys. I mean, you're looking for for a delicious dinner tonight. Why not cook a steak? I am. That's what I'm having for dinner tonight is a steak. So, lucky me, and it can be lucky you. It's just a simple trip to the grocery store away, a simple trip to the, your local butcher. Uh, and you can, you know, you can be eating good every night. Every night of the week. Maybe not Thursday. Thursday I give, give the Thursday to the turkey. But other than that, the other six days of the week, be steak and burgers. Nobody's going to complain. I promise you that. Go to msbeef.org for recipes, information, and go to the Facebook page for the Mississippi Beef Council to vote for your favorite steakhouse or burger joint in the state of Mississippi. Beef, it's what's for dinner. Thanks to our friends at the Mississippi Beef Council. Two Brothers Smoked Meats in the heart of the Cotton District. That's the place to find the smoked southern soul food that you are looking for. We talk about it all the time. On this show, we talk about how great Two Brothers is. It's a fantastic, fantastic restaurant, and we like going there, and you will too. And I can't make it a whole lot clearer for you uh, than than that. So, if you haven't been to Two Brothers yet, well, I don't know how you've uh, you've gone that far without it, but you should make a make a cha- make a choice to correct that behavior today. So, Two Brothers Smoked Meats in the heart of the Cotton District, the place to find smoked Southern soul food. Great products and great service is what every business likes to promise you. If they deliver it to you at Advantage Business Systems, they've been doing it now for 49 years. And, buddy, it's just going to continue because they take care of their customers. They don't have to worry about closing their doors because they know that people are going to keep coming to them for business because they they know they provide the kind of service that makes a difference. You know, everybody, anybody can sell you a product. Anybody can sell you a copier or a printer. It's what happens after the sale that makes it you determine whether or not you're going to ever go back to them. 49 years shows that people have been going back to Advantage Business Systems every time they need technology for their business. 601-362-9192 or visit them online, absms.com. Find out how Advantage Business Systems helps your business do business. The Collegiate Collection at the Rogue, that's where you'll find your next quarter zip or polo. They've got the logos you want. They've got the styles that make sense. They are what dad wants under the tree this holiday season. If dad is looking for a new MSU polo or quarter zip, 
you need to go check out the Collegiate Collection at The Rogue. Shop at The Rogue in Jackson or online at therogue.com. Don't live the three-stripe life. Shop at The Rogue. Earlier this week, I had the privilege to talk to former Mississippi State head football coach Dan Mullen about some of his favorite Egg Bowl memories. Let's go to that interview now. Couldn't be more thrilled to have Coach Dan Mullen join us here on this show, and we are very appreciative of your time, Coach. It's Thanksgiving week, which means it is Egg Bowl week. When I think back to your first press conference at Mississippi State, when I think back to your first days there, you made a, a big deal of the Egg Bowl. You knew that that was something Mississippi State fans would rally behind, and and it just makes me wonder, you know, coming in, you'd, you'd done some of that at, at, at Florida with Florida State. Was that something that was just on your checklist of things to do, like we're going to emphasize this rivalry and make it the most important game on the schedule? Yeah, the rivalry games are critical, right, They're of college football. Um, and, and really, programs, it's, it's, it's really important to fans, and one of the most important things is not everybody in the program always understands it. Uh, a lot of the players, some of them didn't grow up around it or maybe from different areas. Uh, so I always thought that coming in and you make you make sure that everybody within your program understands how important those games are. And I've always believed that. I learned that early as an assistant coach uh, at a lot of our stops. You know, it, it, you know, I mean, at, at, at Notre Dame, USC was a big rival. Uh, Bowling Green, Toledo was a big rival. Obviously, Florida has a couple of different rivals, and then. The uh, the Egg Bowl, the, the the Mississippi State Ole Miss game, is such a, a big game that you always want to make such a, a an important deal out of it, not just make for the fans, for everybody, but to make sure everybody understands how important it is. When I think back to your first game uh, against Ole Miss, you know, obviously a big win, an upset victory. You you kind of dominated the game from start to finish. But what stands out to me the most is I don't know how many times a head coach has been given a live mic at the end of the game. But you were, and and you had to basically cut a promo there uh, to to finish things up. Did you have any knowledge ahead of time that they were going to give you the microphone, and or was it just you know kind of flying by the seat of your pants there? No, it was definitely spur of the minute. I had no idea. You know, I mean, it was it was actually funny in that game, and a lot of times we were coming in. I remember going home on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, you know, the team we practice, we would always practice in the morning, and the game was on Saturday, and it wasn't. You know, we took a couple years to get it back to the traditional rivalry of Thanksgiving night that, you know, uh, I remember coming in and I fought for it to go back to Thanksgiving night and talk with ESPN and finally we were able to get it back on Thanksgiving night, the game, and, and I always thought that was a great rivalry time to play that game. But that first game going into it, I came home for dinner on Thanksgiving Day. I'm like, oh, we're in trouble because I mean, we just we looked awful at practice that day. Uh, and, and uh, you know, an old Miss, was uh, um, they were a top 25 team. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, all right, we're, we could be in some trouble in this one. But that's all right. We'll figure it out. And we came out, and our guys just performed. We just played fantastic. I know the fan base was going crazy. The celebration, everybody was all fired up uh, and excited. And, and all of a sudden, well, I'm on the middle of the field. They hand me the mic. And, uh, you know, and, and the, I've, I've always been known. It, it's not bad. I, I always wanted to kind of stir up the robbery, and I was able to do it on that day as well. Uh, that's one way of putting it, for sure, stirring it up. What made Chris Relf so so good against Ole Miss? Because he was 3-0 and against them uh, and, and just had great games in every game against Ole Miss. What was it about Ole Miss? Because he's not even a Mississippi guy. you know. He's a kid from Alabama, but he dominated this rivalry in his games against them. You know, I think he just he bought in and he understood the importance of that game. You know, and if you – with Chris a lot of times, and, and you'd see him step up in, in some big games – you know, whether it was the game in the swamp where, you know, he was able to carry us with his legs in the in the Gator Bowl against Michigan, uh, and then obviously in the Egg Bowls every year. I mean, he understood uh, and would always kind of play his best in those big games, and that was what was uh, that was so impressive with Chris and the type of player that he was. I always talk to Chad Bumpus every now and then, and he talks about the 2011 Egg Bowl, and he's still mad at you because he thinks y'all should have won that game about 70 to nothing. He says you really held up on Ole Miss in that one. That was the last game against Houston Nutt. Do you have any any specific memories from that game because it was a dominant victory for you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I listen, all of them. I, the, the wins that you get in that game are so special. You know what I mean? And that one was such a huge game. I, 
I, I think that the fun part of that game was it was kind of a nasty. It was like a little bit grizzly, if I remember, in the fourth quarter. They were trying to score, and kind of the, it looked like we'd stopped them. The game ended. They reviewed it. They gave them one more play, and we stopped them again on the goal line. And the whole time of the review, the crowd was going crazy. Everybody was celebrating. Uh, it was just, it, it was so much fun. And, and especially to get the stop the second time uh, made it even better. 2013 might be your most famous Egg Bowl win because of the nature of the game, because of Dak Prescott coming in there late. Listen, I've heard the story before, but I've never heard you tell it. So tell us about how you, know, you found out Dak was going to be able to play and your decision there to bring him in in the fourth quarter. Well, what was interesting in that game is the, um, you know, there was no chance he was going to be able to play. Like earlier in the week, the doctor saw him and said, there's no chance we're going to clear him. And I remember on the day of the game, they came in and they said, hey, this is nothing short of like a miracle that he can actually play. We're going to clear him to play. And, and it was so it's kind of like shocking. And then all of a sudden, when as soon as the doctors, and they, they grabbed me and they said, now, I, we can't tell you. He could go in for one play and the arm kind of goes dead again. And so, I mean, he could play one play. He could play a bunch. We can't tell you. The doctor was, uh, Dr. Sells actually, who's now the, the, the top doctor in the NFL, came in and said, I can't believe I'm, I can do this, but it's nothing short of a miracle. He's clear. But then the responsibility goes on you as a head coach, you know, and the, the number one question is, if he plays, can it make it worse? Is there, and they're like, he's like, no, it'll just go back to where it was. I'm like, oh, uh, the thoughts then go through your mind. Then the thoughts are going through your mind. Okay, if I play him early in the game and he plays a couple plays and he, he just he can't do it, that's going to bring us down as a team and that'll kind of deflate a lot of things. So uh, it was one of those. I looked at him. I said, hey. You be ready to play. He's like, I'm, I want to go play. And I said, listen, you be ready. And, and it's my responsibility as a head coach to look out for your health, for the team's health, for everything. And, you know, the game was going, and we really needed a spark. And I grabbed him late in the third quarter. I said, to the start of the fourth quarter, we're going to go with you the next time we have the ball. He's like, I'm ready. And so all of a sudden, that spark, you know, you worry because they said, as the doctor said, it could be a one play, a two play, a three play deal. And he hadn't, you know, it had been about four or five weeks since he'd even thrown a football, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, hey, let's see if he creates that spark for us. And he certainly did. He came in, and I think, you know, it was one of those the second he ran on the field, the whole energy in the stadium changed, um, the energy on our sideline changed. And he was able to, you know, lead us back to get into overtime. He was able to run the score, the touchdown in overtime. And then, you know, which, as everybody remembers, then one of the greatest plays in Mississippi State history, I think, has to be, uh, I think it was Bo Wallace was about to walk clean into the end zone. And out of nowhere, Nico Whitley came out, punched the ball out, um, you know, and Jameson Love recovers it in the end zone and the game's over. Uh, to win it in overtime, just just unbelievable atmosphere and just a huge win that obviously, you know, it's our third straight win, and then we went on to win the bowl game, and then that kind of sparked us into to heading up to number one the next season. I won't ask you to reveal it if you do know, but do you know what Nico Whitley said to Bo Wallace there in the end zone? Uh, I think I, I know some choice words he said, but I do know, I knew this. I one thing, the greatest thing about Nico, if, if everybody remembers this, and, and uh, I do remember he had a couple of choices right there, but he sprinted over, gave me, gave me a hug, and, and people I don't think realize this. He played the last two games on a torn ACL, yeah. and the doctors were like, hey, you can't make it any worse. Most people couldn't play, and he somehow played. And, and if people remember the week before against Arkansas, he created a, the cause and recovered fumble that won that game, uh, just took the ball out of the rocker, so I was running back his hands. And, uh, you know, one of the great moments is a kid, and you talk about someone that believes in their school and their team, instead of opting for surgery and ending the season, it's like, I'm just going to play these next two games. He does it, makes the game-winning play in both games. And, and after I know he had something to say to Bo Wallace, he did sprint right over to me and just gave me the biggest hug, and, and that was one of, that's one of the great moments in coaching for me. Your last Egg Bowl win in 2016 was a totally dominant win over Ole Miss in, in Oxford. 
Is that one of those games where in practice early on you could see on film, hey, we're going to be able to run the football at will on these guys today? You know, I, I think sometimes you come in with a plan and you say, hey, this is our plan and our expectations. And uh, so one of those games, when you have those type of games, it's one where just everything is going right for you on the field. Like everything that you drew up, everything that you wanted that to, to call in the game was going right. The players are executing at the highest of levels. And on top of that, they're making spectacular plays as well. Um, and I think those are the nights. I mean, you just, when it starts rolling like that, um, as a coach, I mean, you, you want to make sure you're on the right sideline when everything's going your way and everything you drew up, everything you planned is working to perfection. Um, that was, that was such a huge night. Nick Fitzgerald had such a big game that night. The defense played well, creating turnovers. Um, that was a very big win for. One last question, you know, and it's kind of a generic one, but if you had to think about all these great wins you had against Ole Miss, what, what's your favorite moment from one of them? Boy, it's hard to pick one. You know, whether it was, you know, that first game with no chance to win, uh, really, that anybody gave us to come up with the win. The 2013 game obviously was special. Uh, the 2016 game, I think, we weren't expected to win. Um, you know, that was a fantastic one. The, the 2011 one where we, we make the stop, um, was huge. Or the, you know, even 2010, the long touchdown run Chris Ralph had that kind of iced the game to a point was fantastic as well. You, you just have so many great memories of that game. You know, the rivalry games are the ones, um, that stick with you. And, you know, I mean, in, in my office right now, you have all the different game balls that you have through the years, uh, you know, and, and the, probably that, you know, you have your, your first win, your 50th win, 100th win, National Coach of the Year award. Um, but the, the, besides those, the most game, all the game balls I have up for are all the Egg Bowl wins, which are, you know, such a huge deal. Wow. Really great stuff, Coach. I appreciate your time. Coach Dan Mullen joined me today. Happy Thanksgiving, Coach. We'll see you again soon. Yeah. Oh, you too. It should be a great game Thursday night. I'm excited to watch. Thanks, Coach Mullen. Appreciate getting the chance to talk to him. What is your favorite Mullen Egg Bowl? Oh, that's a good one. Um, oh, wow. You know. Oh, eh, nine, maybe. Okay. The first one. Okay. Um, that was the one where you really started to see the the changing of the tides in state. And MSU really started to get some momentum off of that one. Thirteen was a good one. Mm-hmm. I think you like I think you like 09 the best because that's one of the few times where a coach ever cut a promo at the end of a football game. Yeah, that was excellent. And the last, I don't remember many times since that. They, that, they, that. they started doing it before the game the next season. They would they would toss Mike Mullen the live mic before the game. But that, and then they stopped doing that. So, but yeah, the, the after the game, I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen a coach on the mic, fifty thousand people in the stands, and basically he just dropped a bomb on Ole Miss right there in front of everybody. Just took Houston Nuts' own words and used them against them. It was fantastic. Yeah, and after that, people would just—I mean, it felt like State was about to like start competing in the SEC. It did, and then they did like, the next year. I mean, you look at that that 2010 team; they went nine and four. All four losses were to teams that finished in the top twelve, but, yeah, including the number one team in the nation, the Auburn Tigers. Yeah, it, it did feel like they were about to take off there. I mean, what's funny about that is there was no coming back from that for Houston Nutt. Like that was it. That was the end of his tenure at Ole Miss. He hung on for two more years, but that was it. Yeah, he never replicated that season. No. Uh, my favorite one is 16. Uh, first off, you know, it, you, you didn't know it at the time, but that was going to be the last time you saw Hugh Freeze in Oxford in red and blue. So that was, I mean, that in retrospect, it's funny that that's how he went out after all that in Oxford. But, and I asked him about that, you know, the first play of, of the game for Mississippi State, they hand the ball to Aris Williams and he takes off for about a 10, 12-yard gain. And it was very obvious at that point, like, State's going to be able to run the football today. Now, I didn't know that they were going to run it to the tune of almost 500 yards and that Nick Fitzgerald was going to go break a rushing record and Aris Williams was going to almost crack 200 himself. But that was just, I mean, 
it was, and then what was funny is that it was an exciting game up to a point, right? You know, it was it's 20, uh, 26, 20 and states, you know, in, in the third quarter, and then state just completely destroys Ole Miss in the last 18 minutes of the game. Um, just it was just a fun day in Oxford, no question. I mean, it, winning on the road always, always better than winning at home. I, I like winning at home, but when you win on the road, it's, it's just something about that, especially in a rivalry game. There were several games during Mullen's tenure where you just said State's just way too physical for this team. Yeah. That was and that was one of them. Like the games, the games when Mullen just, just said, you know what? I can dominate this team up front mm-hmm. and just ran it like 50 times mm-hmm. and just ran it down the throat and couldn't, they could, the other team couldn't stop it. Those games were fun to watch. You know, the, the games Always that run, he did that, pass. when he did that against, you know, Florida, when he just, Florida. Uh, even, even when that game was like 10 to seven or whatever it was, still just being able to control the clock in Florida really couldn't do a whole lot about it. Getting three and a half yards of carry. <laughs> first down, yeah. second down, third down, first down. And then you have the opposite end of that where you just have these gaping holes against Ole Miss where mm-hmm. you feel like State could rush for 600. Yeah. I mean, I remember in that game, that was the first time that I really thought Elton Jenkins is going to be special. Yeah. Playing at tackle. I mean, you know, know, he's pulling, he's pulling out there and he's running down the sidelines, leading the way for Harris Williams. And you're just like, God, this dude's got to be a monster. So some good times under Dan Mullen. No question about it. Some fun memories there. Appreciate coach joining us uh, here for a few minutes. Tomorrow's three piece. Mississippi State versus Ole Miss, the Egg Bowl, the battle for the Golden Egg. Call it whatever you want. Uh, We will talk about it tomorrow. We will have our preview and our prediction on tomorrow's podcast. Until then, for Robbie Falk, I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for joining us here on Super Talk Mississippi. Thanks for joining us on Thunder and Lightning here at supertalk.net. Talk Mississippi Media Production.